Well, it seems there are three things that we can be relatively certain of today. Gas will start to trickle through the Nord Stream pipeline, but not enough of it, as Putin shows who is in charge, really. Mario Draghi won't be in charge for much longer, it seems. It looks like his government is set to fall apart. And the ECB today will hike 25 or 50 basis points. And what's the story with the anti-fragmentation tool? Could Italian bonds be hit with a double whammy of government uncertainty and a rise in European rates with not enough support for Italian debt? They've already been hit pretty hard today. It's Thursday, the 21st of July, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, U.S. stocks are back on the rise again today. The Nasdaq up 1.6% at close, 0.7% for the S&P 500, and just 0.2% for the Dow. The big moves include NVIDIA, the uh, computer graphics company, up 4.8%. Meta up 4.2%. Amazon up 3.9%. Equities in Europe, though, are down a 0.2% drop in the DAX, 0.4% for the FTSE 100. Bonds, uh, small moves, uh, it seems. Well, in the U.S., anyway, 10-year Treasury yields up one basis point. German bonds down two basis points, but up six basis points for 10-year yields in Italy and two-year Italian yields up more than 40 basis points. We'll come on to why that is. Uh, The US dollar back on the rise, up a third of 1% on the DXY. A lot of that is because of a half percent fall in the euro. The Aussie dollar down 0.2% to 68.9 US cents. The pound also down 0.2%. And oil falling back again. We've got a 1.9% drop in WTI and a 0.6% fall in Brent at $106.70. So let's talk about all the important stuff uh, with NAB's Gavin Friend in London. I feel like there's a lot to be concerned about today, uh, a lot of it in Europe, as, as we'll come to in just a moment. But looking at some of those numbers, there's quite a bit of optimism out, out there this morning, isn't there? Yeah, good morning, Phil. I think you're right. A day, I mean, there hasn't been a lot of tier one, what we call tier one economic data today. We know the Fed is in a quiet period. Officials are unable to speak ahead of their meeting next Wednesday. But a lot of news, as you say, out of Europe on Italian politics, the Russian gas situation, ahead of the, uh, you know, the very important ECB meeting later today and some political news in the UK. I mean, if you look at asset prices, your stocks, as you say, up led by the tech sector. There was some, uh, I guess, some optimism in the way the Netflix numbers came out. I mean, they missed um, estimates, but I think there was some relief that the number of, they lost about a million customers. I think there's some relief as far as, far as I read that it could have been worse. Well, they're expecting um, two million. We, we said yesterday, they're expecting two million. They, they expect they're going to get the million back. So, uh Hmm. I would say stocks up three of the last four days. Some people are apparently thinking that this is a market that's trying to find a bottom. I mean, let's see. I would note that European stocks, you know, are down. Um, the news in Europe isn't good. Uh, and there's still a lot of uncertainty out there on, you know, the direction of the US economy and pathway for the Fed. But bond yields also um, have ticked up, you know, as they have over the last few days. Curves are still inverted. Oil prices also up, basket of commodities up, nat gas, nat gas prices in Europe are lower. Here, I think. Mm, which is curious. Um, we can, yes, we can look at some comments from Russian President Vladimir Putin when he was in Tehran on Tuesday that, you know, Russia would fulfill its commitments to supply nat gas to Europe. Well, tonight, tonight's um, the deadline, isn't it? But yeah. He's, but he, he's but going he, to show he's in charge, though. He's not going to turn it fully on and he's going to blame it on supplies. So he's, uh, it's, it's a bit of a trickle coming through. It is. So, you know, to your point, Nord Stream 1 is supposed to come out of maintenance today. Um, and he is warning that, you know, um, flows might just be at 20%. Again, he's looking at this turbine um, 
saying that, you know, where is it? Europe, the EU said that the turbine is in transit. It should be delivered on time. Gazprom has weighed in and said it needs all the correct paperwork, which it hasn't got yet. Putin's then said there's another turbine that needs work on. And if that gets caught up in the US, Canadian EU sanctions, then there will be a harm to flows. So, look, you know, this is the point we keep making. The Russian president has numerous reasons if he feels that he needs to do to basically justify why he can is in control of the flows well, there. And this is a situation yeah. that's going to play out all the way through the year. Well, if he's saying, yes, I'll, I'm going to give you as much as you need, but not any more than that. So you can't build up your reserves. And that's that's the issue, isn't it? So they've got, it I, mean, I mean, if they, 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 they're already talking in Europe about the idea that they're going to need to introduce some sort of rationing voluntary at this stage. And then we've got Bloomberg reporting that if they were totally uh, to cut off gas supplies, then the reserves, which are what, about 60 or 65, percent right now for some member countries uh, will be down to zero by March or April next year. That sounds pretty serious to me. Yeah, it does. It does. I mean, the, the stockpile, don't forget, even about 100%, they're only at 25% of what Europe needs. There's a big shortfall, as we keep saying. And I think the other point, you know, we need to make here is, is that all of this, you know, Putin is basically trying to drive that wedge into the Western alliance because he thinks anything he can do on that, he might get a breakaway in, you know, on one of these countries in terms of the sanctions that they're, that they're heaping on Russia. Yeah. That's what, that, you know, that, that's what's driving yeah, it. Yeah, and it's interesting, I mean, that, which brings us on to Italian politics, doesn't it? Because Mario Draghi may <laughs> well go, I mean, because some of the parties there, there are some supporters for Putin in, in amongst the, uh, uh, the, the Italian parliament. Obviously, Mario Draghi isn't one of them. But he could well go. So uh, he he did. I said yesterday he was going to address the uh, the Italian Parliament. He did. He said the Italian people had persuaded him not to resign. Uh, he called for a vote of confidence in the Senate, but um, you know, lots of uh, people just didn't take part in that. And it looks like his government is going to fall apart. Yeah, I mean, he has. You know, as you say, he's been he's been humbled by the support, and you know, from mayors, a thousand mayors, industry, you know, academia, um, European, um, other European prime ministers. Um, so he wants to carry on. He said, I'm here, I'm ready, but I need unity. And of course, to your point, with three parties not joining in, in that confidence vote, which he won, he doesn't have that broad church, that broad consensus he's looking for. I would say of the three, it's five star that is the issue here. The other two parties, Forza Italia, which is the party of former PM uh, Silvio Berlusconi and uh, Salvini's Liga, um, are saying, look, go ahead, former government will back you without five star. Um, so that's a possibility. That's a possibility that he might he might take up. We, we don't know. It's his decision. Um, but I w- what I would say is even if he goes down that road, it's not a quick turnaround. That won't happen until October. And thereby... Italy leaves itself exposed throughout the summer months where it's got to get its budget together. All of the reforms that that Draghi is the man that's trusted to get through aren't going to be happening. It could withhold some of that European money. And then there's a chance that he doesn't win and the right wing get in. What happens then? Does that drive that wedge against the European alliance or the the Western alliance for Russia? Um, And again, the more serious point, I guess, really is all of that is not good for Italian debt. Yields will be rising as we enter into ECB day. Yeah, that's right. And that anti-fragmentation tool. I mean, if if the, I mean, what would happen to Italian? I mean, Italian yields are said at the front end. They're they're up quite a lot today anyway. But if you if if Draghi goes, and then the ECB doesn't put a convincing story forward on their anti-fragmentation tool uh, later on, th- those uh, th- those yields are going to go crazy, aren't they? <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, the first thing to say is if he does resign, he, he, he will be caretaker until October or until elections take place. There won't be a vacuum, but of course he will be a caretaker. He can't actually do meaningful stuff, but he will still be there. The ECB does have a plan that has this PEP plan using the old the maturities from the old um, pandemic emergency purchase plan. The problem with that is um, it's only they can only use the maturities they have, which is something between 12 and 17 billion euros a month. It's not very big if markets really wanted to have a go or if Putin decided he wanted to do something to gas, which basically meant the prices spike anew, inflation goes up, and the ECB needs to do something. It, the, the ECB will get there with this new transmission protection mechanism. It's just that later on today, because we know that there's a lot of disagreement between the hawks and the doves on the ECB in terms of things like what are the trigger points? You know, what, what's the blow the size of the blowout in spreads that's going to get them to you know start this mechanism what's the conditionality around it we need that there will be conditionality remember Draghi, mario draghi's um omt scheme in 2012 when he saved the euro was never wheeled out because partly because people thought it was the big bazooka it was too big there's no point in fighting it but partly because it had conditionality that nobody wanted to use things like an e uh, an imf ecb um, uh, economic program. I mean, if it's something too onerous, no one will take it up. So it's got to sound good. It's got to sound convincing. Um, and really, Christine Lagarde is in a. She's trying to. She's trying to sound good later on today. She's going to have to try and, um, you know, bluff her way through. I think and and, and suggest that the ECB there is ready. We'll have to wait and see how markets take that. Our bias is urging towards disappointment that, that, that the size of it, the triggers won't be there and markets may well start to, um, you know, start to push out those spreads a little bit. And, and 25 we'll or 50 basis points, what are they going to do? Well, we're a non-consensus 50 because um, we feel that um, the inflation is running at 8.6%. It's almost as high as the US. You know, given the base case of what's happening to gas prices and thereby inflation could spike again, um, we think the ECB needs to get ahead of this. Uh, rather than go 25, then have to wait all the way through to September before it goes again. Go now, because when you get into September, October, November, the economic conditions are, are, are probably going to be far worse with the gas issue. Get some, get, get some, get some, get out in front of this and get some hikes, you know, under your belt. And let's not forget, Germany has got a plan for four floating LNG platforms, which are probably ready by the end of this year, early next year. The question is, they won't. Will they get any LNG to go? in it it's unlikely but when that does come next year then that takes care of the sort of economic downside in terms of turning the lights out so the ecb needs to get ahead and just do something to try and keep prices down yeah and we saw that the the the, the trade deficit in europe was reflected in the latest current account numbers for may from 3.6 billion euros in red in april to 15.4 billion in red in may not quite as bad as 2008 but a you know a current account deficit for the euro area is a relatively rare thing isn't it but you know i mean that's totally not unexpected i guess with the ecb today i mean it's not just their decision there is also a press conference isn't so it'll be interesting to see what's said there too it will it will indeed and how uh christine uh, Christine Lagarde um, handles that in what is a, a very uncertain time for her because, the, as we say, the, um, the mechanism won't be ready and, and she's got to try and tread two stalls in terms of what have you got in the, in the interim uh, with your PEP scheme 
and where is this going? Now, uh, UK inflation, let's do this very quickly. That was out for June year on year. The headline number's up. The core inflation is down slightly, but it's the headline rate I think that everyone's concerned about right now, isn't it? Up to 9.4%. And look, other bad signs. Retail prices up 11.8%. Produce input prices up 24% year on year. So that, you know, it's hard to imagine we're going to see that CPI falling anytime well, soon. And none of, none of that is a surprise. We know that when the new Ofcom measures come out for utility bills in October, it's going to go probably above 11%. But from that point on, all else equal, it should start to fall quite, quite, quite sharply. And core inflation is, you know, encouraging that it was lower. That should fall quite quickly next year as well. Well, inflation up in Canada too, but in their case, a mere eight point one percent year on year. But interestingly, their core rate uh, at six point two is actually higher than the core rate in the UK. And of course, the inflation data for Australia next week. Uh, we had Philip Lowe yesterday uh, defending the RBA's approach to interest rates. He was talking in Melbourne. Uh, was the much we could take out from what he had to say yesterday? I think he made three three points really, which are worthy of just going over. He he, he talks about this. They don't often talk about the nominal neutral interest rate, which he thinks is a, at least two and a half percent. That's probably a bit lower than you know academic models would suggest, which is closer to three. But you know, at least two and a half, three. I mean, it's not that far off. And then the second thing is he said in saying that returning inflation to the two to three percent target, a more sustainable balance between demand and supply is needed. And he's, he had some comments over. The possible overinsuring the stimulus through the pandemic, and uh, in the Q and A, there was a suggestion that um, you know th- th- they would need to see some slowing in aggregate demand. All of that arguably points to the RBA pushing rates to somewhere above neutral into sort of slightly re- restrictive territory. But then the third point is he also talked about charting a credible path here, with the RBA seeking to get inflation down in a way in which the economy continues to grow, unemployment remains low, which suggests the RBA is pri- pri- prioritizing some sort of, you know, um, soft landing if it can. Um, you know, there are calls out there for 75 basis points uh, for the August meeting. NAB is at 50, but I think a lot of it depends on mm. next week's Q2 CPI release and, uh, you yep. know, how high that comes out. Yeah. Okay. And then very quickly, uh, in the UK, the next Prime Minister is either going to be Liz Truss or Rishi Sunak. Uh, we won't know till the 5th of September, even though they've whittled it down to two. But it is a fight over taxes, isn't it? I mean, Rishi wants to keep them where they are. Liz Truss wants to reverse some of the recent tax hikes. Uh, so, you know, even if that means building up government debt. So they are poles apart in their approach. They are poles apart in their approach. And Liz Truss, as you know, at the weekend was talking about interfering with Bank of England independence. <laughs> she is also the candidate that would like to have another go. She's introduced the, the legislation on ripping up the Northern Ireland protocol yeah it's controversial um the two are very different um <laughs> and one of them uh, trust will have ramifications for for the bank of england i suspect yeah gee anyway uh new zealand's balance of trade today japan's balance of trade as well and the bank of japan's uh, interest rate decision i don't think we're expecting too much there all eyes are going to be on the ecb and it's thursday of course so we get uh, weekly jobless claims in the u.s uh you know, interesting, I guess. But Friday, uh, we've got loads of PMIs. It's that time of the month. But uh, yeah, a lot going on today. Good to talk, Gavin. Thanks, Phil. And uh, very quickly before we go, so the Tesla results are out. They uh, reported just after the market closed in the US. Uh, second quarter revenue of $16.9 billion. That is down from $18 billion in the first quarter. So that's two quarters where they've seen their revenue decline. But that is actually a bit better than had been expected. So, And they've sold 75% of those Bitcoin purchases they've made quite right to. They're over that phase. Can't give you anything else because Elon Musk hasn't given his earnings call yet. So listen out for all of that. Uh, that's it for today. Though. I'm Phil Dobby for now. Back again tomorrow morning. I'll see you then.